Welcome to Negative Space, the podcast that dives deep into the untold stories and hidden journeys that shape the lives of our neighbors here in the upstate of South Carolina. I'm your host, Sean Rogers, and today we have a captivating tale of strength, passion, and the powerful bond between humans and animals. Our guest today is Lilia White, a remarkable woman whose life's canvas has been painted with vibrant strokes of equestrian adventures. From her early days in a military academy in Mexico to the grand stage of the 2022 World Equestrian Games, Lilia has ridden the path filled with wonder and triumph. Through the lens of negative space, we uncover the often overlooked tales that enrich our lives. Today, we explore the beauty found in the spaces between the stories, the unspoken connections that exist between humans and these majestic So saddle up and join us on this equestrian journey as Lilia shares the memories that define her life with horses, the extraordinary escapades that they've embarked on together, and the cherished memories that have left an indelible mark on her soul. Negative Space presents... Negative Space presents the captivating narrative Lilia White and her life intertwined with the spirit of the horse. We'll be hearing the first part of my interview with Lilia right after this word from our sponsor. Blue Ridge Brewery, where food meets flavor in the heart of Greer, South Carolina. Come and experience the perfect blend of taste and tradition with an array of mouth-watering delights. Sink your teeth into the signature Buffalo Burger, a tantalizing symphony of flavors that will leave you craving for more. And for those seeking a brunch adventure for their taste buds, indulge in their delightful Birdie Mary, a cocktail that will elevate your dining experience higher than a roasted chicken can fly. Whether you're here for a family gathering or a night out with friends, Blue Ridge Brewery is the place to be. Come to downtown Greer for a visit at 308 Trade Street. Blue Ridge Brewery, where flavors blend and the memories are brewed. Follow Blue Ridge Brewery on social media for updates and special events. It is hard to explain. Horses have been my passion since I was three years old. My parents have no idea how I got it because, you know, my dad came from a town in one of the states, one of the northern states, and even though they had a small ranch per se, they didn't have animals. My mom was a city girl, so they have absolutely no idea how I got the bug. But since I was three, I basically, the only thing I wanted to do was horses. And at the time we used to live in Mexico City and we were lucky enough that we were close to the zoo, to the Mexican zoo. And, and they had ponies that they would go out around the, the zoo. So every time my mother would pick me up from school we would go out to the zoo and I would go around on the pony and come back and then be home and be happy. <laughs> so every time I wanted a horse, my parents would shut me down because I wouldn't study, because I was not going to be an A grade student, etc., etc. And my parent, my well, my dad was very strict, so I had had all A's in school. So when I got to be 15. On and off, I was able to ride horses, but it wasn't, you know, formal riding. It was mostly like you get on the horse, you spend a little bit of time, and that's it. And when I was 15, they basically asked me, well, do you want a horse or do you want a party? And there was no question. I wanted a horse. 
So my dad had a couple of friends that did some writing and I started writing in a, basically a military equestrian club. So that's where I started with my lessons. In less than a month I was competing because such was my passion and that's where I started and that's where I stayed forever. Now they did send me to, when I was little, they did send me to England for two years. So I left when I was 10, came back when I was thir 13. And of course there are courses over there. So even though it wasn't, you know, the lessons were like on the weekends and you got a chance to go trail riding, it was just there. I just wanted to be with horses. What does it look like in that military horse club? What, in competitions, what does that look like from, how many times a week are you going? At the time. Did you have to wear a uniform? I did not, I did not. <laughs> I was considered a civilian. Even though I did try to get into the military for, for, to be supported to go into the Olympics or so I wanted to, but they didn't, it, that didn't take. So I have always been involved in sports. And when I started with the riding, I was also in a swim teaming, a swing team uh, league. So I was basically training. I went for the horses. I got out of school, went riding, every day, left there, came back to train, and our training was basically anywhere from two and a half hours to three. So I would start late, but I would finish late. So I would be the last one in the pool. And I kept that probably for about six months until basically my swimming coach said, you got to the side. So that was very easy. I went for the horses. So I would ride every day except for Mondays because they rest on Mondays and on the weekends. And my lessons at that time were an hour. And then I started trying to find more horses to ride. So I would start asking people if I could ride their horses. So I ended up riding three or four horses in the military club that I could basically do whatever I wanted to in the sense of compete or take out for a trail ride or just work them. Some of those horses were, you know, horses are like athletes. Some are made to jump, some are made to do dressage, some are made to just be trail horses. And every single horse that I rode, we tried to make him jump and we would just put him through the paces to see how much I could jump but we never pressure them to go more than they could. So it was, um, I was treated fairly, I would say. It was not like I was part of the military, but because my instructor was a military colonel, if they say, you jump this, it means you jump this. It, it, it's not if, maybe, or in between, or uh, no, you're going. And if they tell you, you drop down on a jump and go down the hill, you jump and go down the hill. You have no options. 
So that's what it looked like. And from there, I moved on to other places. Now, what was the main event that you competed in throughout your horsing career? I did the what is called the Young Riders in Mexico. So when I was riding at the military club, there were quite a few people that were watching me. And one of them was a trainer that moved from the United States into Mexico, and they basically asked me to ride for them. So part of the riding for them was actually working nine horses every day. And besides having my own horse to compete, I had a couple of other horses that I could compete. And they were the horses that nobody wanted because I was able to get along with the horses and I was able to get them to do stuff. They were the ones given to me, the ones that buck, the ones that rear, the ones that did all the bad stuff. Those were the ones that I got. And we got them moving on. So I did Young Riders. So within the Young Riders, I did some classics and I did a couple of Grand Prix. So it was, that was probably the highlight of my career at that time. And that was when you were about 15, 16, 17? When I was 16 till 18. What is your favorite activity on a horse to compete in? Okay, so you have a couple of competitions and you see them in the, or a couple of disciplines and you see them in the Olympics. You have show jumping, which is basically time riding over a couple, uh, 12 to 14, 16 jumps. And, you know, if a pole comes down, you don't go, or you don't go clear time or a pole or anything like that, you don't go to the jump off. There is dressage, which is, in order for people to understand it, it's basically like dancing on a horse. So you have this ring that it's a rectangular ring and you have letters on it. And you're supposed to do certain exercises on those letters and they look or they qualify the engagement of the horse, the way they, the horse is performing the exercise and how, <laughs> how if, you, if the horse is relaxed while you're doing it, how you're riding and how you're not being so rough on the horse and the horse is actually listening to you. Then you have three-day eventing, which is a combination of show jumping, dressage, but you add cross-country. So cross-country is probably about 20 jumps that are logs, water, ditches, uh, hedges, and when you get to the level, it's called the five-star level, which is basically the Olympics, those things are huge. They're not supposed to be over a meter 20, which is what, maybe four feet, but they are huge when you look at them. I mean, it, it's big. And then you have, in the Western, you have raining, which is kind of sort of like dressage, but they have different styles of doing different exercises and they're on a Western saddle. And then you have vaulting, which is basically gymnastics on a horse while the horse is cantering. My background and what I like the best is show jumping. 
and jumping on a horse and, and being able to, that moment where the horse takes off and you're just in the air is just amazing. Hmm. There's, there's no, you're just free. Now I have, because of work and because of other things, I have tried to dedicate myself more to dressage. But once you go up in the higher levels of dressage, you end up investing probably more time than you would if you were training a horse for the high levels of jumping. So yeah, jumping is... Where you like to be. Yes. You have been involved in many different horse competitions over the last 30 years, 40 yes. years. 40. <laughs> now, you have somehow, you were invited to be on the Mexican World Equestrian Team. Yes. How does that happen? So you got to know somebody. <laughs> Is it the Colonel? Are we going back to the Colonel that we knew back when you were? Well, maybe not that yes, far back. Yes, yes, and no. Yes, and no. So, which were in Denmark? You spent two weeks in Denmark. Is I that did. Correct? I did for the World Equestrian Games. We'll I ask did. about more of that here in a second. But how did how did the experience even come about? Okay. So while I. For the past couple of years, I've been basically showing dressage. When the World Equestrian Games were here in Tryon, there is a girl that came from Mexico, representing Mexico in three-day eventing. Now, a girl, a girl, lady, her name is Daniela Mogo, her competing in three-day eventing as a woman was out of, this, out of the norm, because three-day eventing in Mexico is only the military. So she was able to get out of that and actually compete in the World Equestrian Games. So I got in touch with her, and we knew the same people, so we started making a friendship. After the World Games passed, the next year, the para-dressage para rider that I help, Ignacio Trevino, he had to do a, um, what they call the medical test here in the States before he went to the Olympics in Tokyo. So he needed a horse. He couldn't bring his horse in time because of the quarantine and how, because he was a stallion, the horse that he was riding was a stallion. It would take too long for, for the horse to come through. And basically like- Because all horses get COVID. Well, it wasn't COVID, but you know, <laughs> it was during the time, it was yeah. the year after the, that, but uh, it was just the timing he couldn't bring it in. So then he called Daniela, Daniela called me, and then I started looking for horses for him to ride. And I got in touch with everybody and their mother that I knew that could lend him a horse. At that time, I didn't know how much he could ride and what was his disability. 
but I was just trying to find a horse. So that put me in touch with a friend I hadn't seen for maybe 30 years. And he lives in the area now. And in touch with the people that are basically the United States equestrian team for paradressage. And we all worked together and we got him a horse. So when he came in, I basically got him the accommodations or helped him get the accommodations, got the horse, paired everybody together, and I was just there to support. Now he used to speak English, but because he had, he has a immuno, uh, what is it? Immune? Immunodeficiency. Yes, uh, disease. And basically he had two strokes. And with the stroke, he basically lost the ability for the other language. So he can, he learned how to, he learned how to speak again, speak Spanish. And the one thing he couldn't do was learn English. So I was part of a translator, part helping him get all the, the I helped him get registered for the horse show. I helped him get the horse. So it was just a little bit of everything. So once that happened and he went to Japan, he did his, uh, to, he did the Olympics. When he came back, we stayed in touch. And because of my work ethic, basically he asked me to be part of the team. So I went as... Yes, thank you. I went as part of the team. I went as a groom as part of the team. So that's how I got to be part of the Mexican paradressage equestrian team. <laughs> what were you asked to do for the paradressage Mexico team? As a groom, I'm basically in charge of the horse. So we picked up the, the horse flew from Tryon. Well, he, he stayed at my house basically for a couple of days until he was taken to New York where he actually, it's called the Ark in New York where they keep the horses and from there he flew to Germany. What's the horse's name? His name was Espenbalia. What kind of horse is he? You don't have to answer that. I can't, uh, I know he was a, um, I think he came from Holland originally. Hmm. I don't know the exact breed. Um, he ended up in Mexico. He used to be a show jumper, but because that particular horse, if you don't ride it correctly as a show jumper, he wouldn't jump and he started refusing. So the person that ended up getting the horse ended up putting, getting him for dressage. And then Ignacio got basically the horse. The horse, the personality of the horse was, it's probably one of the best personalities I've seen on a horse. He wants to be in your pocket. 
He loved to be petted. He wanted all the attention. And he had this personality that like, yeah, I love you. And I don't care what I'm doing. I'll just go to sleep here. But yeah, I still love you. <laughs> Everybody that dealt with a horse, even the people that did the transport for the airplane transport, they loved the horse. Loved him. He had such a great personality. So, he was in Germany for a, a month. Ignacio flew to Germany to train, and he was there for a month. And after that, basically I flew into Germany to pick up the horse from Germany, and we drove the horse to Denmark. And the minute we entered the equestrian games facility, basically I was in charge of the horse, feed, food, uh, I mean, feed, water, um, clean the stalls, getting the horse ready for the horse show, braiding it, uh, washing, making sure that everything was ready and set for the horse. And at the same time, I did a little bit of translation for Ignacio with the people that he had to deal with and make sure that things were the way they were supposed to. With being in a foreign country on a foreign team, how did you how is communication? Everybody speaks English, so for me it wasn't a problem. And the one thing that is different in paradressage to any of the other disciplines is everybody in paradressage wants to help each other because they all have a disability and they all have a story. So where we were at, it was the he was, there's a guy from Portugal, where a kid from Portugal that was, came to compete. It was us. It was uh, the team from Denmark, the team from Belgium, and the team from Spain. And whenever we had a problem, at least Portugal and Spain would help us. Belgium was nice, they would talk to us. Denmark, we had a little bit of a problem because we had fixed our stalls with flags and things like that and apparently it scared one of the horses and they cut them off, they didn't tell us, we just found them on the ground and since then we were like <laughs> But they were nice. What was the, what was some of the challenges that you had to face while you were in Denmark? I basically, literally, worked my butt off, okay? I had to walk 10 miles every day because where the venue was, where the stalls were, and where the ring was for them, you had to walk from one side to the other. As para-athletes, they don't get to get on their horse and ride it. So basically you have to walk the horse or the trainer has to ride the horse and to the ring and then they get on the ring. So it's not like any other athlete that can get on the horse from the stalls and go ride. 
So that was one. Then because the horse, they felt that the horse needed to be worked twice a day. So it was working him in the morning and then working him in the afternoon. You had to coordinate the times. You had to coordinate the times with the people in the rings because it's not only him, it's the other dressage riders, the other jumping riders. Everybody that's competing has a certain time. So you have to be checking in this and that and the other. Um, the officials, dealing with the officials. Some officials were very, very nice. Some officials were kind of like, eh. But probably, I mean, the moving from one place to the other and having to be at a certain time was probably the biggest challenge. Now, <coughs> at night when everything finished, it was like you just go and crash. And it doesn't matter if you were fit or not because of all the adrenaline of walking up and down and doing and this and that and the other he would finish working the horse and basically I would have to cool him walking around. So you have to walk around for a little while. So it's, I mean, it was just, that was, it wasn't a challenge, it was a surprise that I would have to work that much. I mean, every night I would crash so tired and then get up at early in the morning to do the same thing again. I wouldn't change it for anything. It was a great experience, but it was, yeah. You mentioned that you got a nickname while you were over there. Do you want to tell that story? You don't have to. <laughs> but if you would like to share about the nickname, you don't have to, again. This can be one of the questions you skip, it's fine. <laughs> Yes, I did get a nickname. Uh, basically, because I laugh a lot, everybody can find me anywhere because of my laugh. So it wasn't uh, one time we were, so the equestrian games is set up, you have the rings, you have places for people to eat, and you have shops and they're all outside, right? So we were walking, the daughter of Ignacio came with us and I made really good friends with her. And we were always together walking around and the trainer of Ignacio or the coach was looking for us and the only thing they did was basically listen to see where somebody was laughing and they would head that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was the nickname? No, okay, no. <laughs> got it. We got the story, we don't get the nickname. Yeah, you get okay. the story, you don't get the nickname. No, we'll take it. Yep. <laughs> Heard. Aside from the on the field drama and all the walking. Yeah. What was one of the more, you're traveling during all of these travel restrictions and nobody knows how to get from one place to the next anymore. How was getting to Denmark? Oh and God. Home? Oh, well, it was a little bit challenging in the sense of, I flew, I've always moved around and been able to speak 
a language and be able to understand what's going on. I did try to learn German a long time ago, but I can't, if you throw me into a German setting, I can understand, I just cannot speak it. So I come into Germany, my flight was delayed from Charlotte, two hours, so I missed my connection, they lost my luggage, or let's say they didn't lose it, it just didn't make it to the plane, and then I got to Germany. In Germany, I was because I was delayed because of trying to figure out how to get my luggage reported, I did not meet Ignacio's daughter and the trainer, that they, we were traveling together. So they left. So then I have to put my, myself in a train from Frankfurt, Frankfurt, from Dusseldorf to where we were staying. So I was like, okay. And then getting off the train, I had to get on the bus that when I asked them for a ticket, they looked at me like, and you're speaking what? So, <laughs> and then figure out where to get off to be able to get to where they were staying. So that, I think that was the most challenging part. Not knowing where I was going from the start. Every time I have traveled, I always know where I'm going and I kind of sort of figure things out before, but this time was like on the go and figure it out. That was probably the hardest challenging part. Restrictions in the sense you did have to wear a mask on the plane, but other than that, and on the bus and on the train, but other than that, there was not. Going back home was a lot easier because we were all together. So we came into Dusseldorf their plane left earlier than mine, so I just went to the airport with them. And that way I didn't have to be running around or doing anything. But, when I was at the airport, so, of course I paid for my upgrade because I didn't want to travel in the back of the bus. And I wanted to be able to sleep because I was so freaking tired, it was ridiculous. So I was sitting in the business lounge you know, minding my own business. And they suddenly tell us that we need to get out of the business lounge. And I start seeing everybody getting out of the airport itself. So they got us out to where the ticket counters were and this humongous amount of people are out. And we just couldn't figure out what had happened. Then we see the police coming in, their little vests, dogs. Somebody had left a bag unattended and they thought that it was a bomb. So they brought everybody out, made sure that it was not a bomb, and then let everybody in. Now mind you, the Germans know how to handle the chaos and it was the most organized exit of an airport and entering back into an airport that I have ever seen. If it had been somebody somewhere else, everybody would have been screening, trampling everybody and everything. So, you know, even though we were delayed, 
leaving the airport, but we still made made the other plane. And it was just interesting how after everything moved in, everything just started going as quickly as it could. So that was the other interesting, challenging part of it that I have never been involved in. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Have you kept in touch with the Mexico team? Of course. Good. Do you guys have a reunion planned? It's not a reunion. I helped him. So with the work that I did at the World Equestrian Games, I am supposed to go with him to the Olympics in France in next year. This year, there were supposed to be some horse shows here in the States where he could basically make, keep the points that he needed. But because there was not going to be enough people here in the States to do the show, they basically didn't do it for points. They did the show, but they took the, the, the international part out of it. So he ended up organizing a show in Mexico, in Monterey, in the club called La Silla. So it's the first time that La Silla has had a paradressage show at the same time that they're having a jumping show. And I helped him a little bit there. He is now on his way to Canada to do another show over there for the points. I can't help him there because I have to travel to Mexico for other things. And then there's supposed to be another show in October here in Tryon, also for points, so he can keep the points, so he can basically go to the Olympics in 2024. So I've been in touch and helping him with stuff. Yes. How did you guys place in the 2022 World Equestrian Games? He was 11. Okay. Now this is, you have to understand that Mexico is not a superpower in the equestrian, in any of the equestrian events. We've had some wins, we had some goals, yes. But the strongest teams, even in para dressage, is Germany, Italy, Denmark, because they have discipline per se, and they have the ability to get horses. Where in Mexico and in the Latin American countries, people that have the money are the ones that get the horses. So it's not as easy. So he's, he has had to work his butt off to be able to get a horse, to borrow a horse, for, them to, for somebody to lend him a horse. And then, unfortunately, as a rider, when somebody gives you a horse to ride, at one point in time, they're gonna tell you, well, that horse is out. So they can do it at the beginning of the season, in the middle of the season, while you're showing. It doesn't matter when, at the time they say the horse comes back, the horse comes back. So that's just one of the biggest challenges. What are some of the goals that you had as a team that you wanted to see accomplished in 2022? I wanted to be able to qualify for the Olympics. He had been already to one Olympics. 
and it wasn't the Olympics the way that I guess the way that it it always is because you know it was in Japan they had the restrictions they had no people you had no public it was different so he wants to be in the 10 top of the world um, you know he made it to the 11th in his category which is a big accomplishment from 2018 basically and now going for the Olympics I mean he is still trying to be in the first 10 of the world he wants to be there in for him and he's competing as an individual so in order paradressage has five levels and they go from the least disability that you have which is grade five to the most disability that you have which is grade one in order to compete as a team you have to have one rider of each of the categories it is very difficult so you have grade one two three four and five so four and five are basically people that their disability you don't see it as much where three two and one are the biggest disabilities <laughs> in Mexico because people do not support the disability playing sports per se it is very hard to have a team of paradressage riders so he is grade three there is another lady that is grade five I believe and she also competes but she has the means to pay horses trainers everything and Ignacio is trying to bring the the attention to the para equestrian to try and make people actually ride so they can actually so a team can be formed at some point in time maybe not in his era but at some point in time that they can have the ability to have a team so his challenge will always be be on the top try to build the ferry equestrian sport in Mexico try to get the support needed and try to bring attention to the people that have a disability one of the things I love being in Denmark is that I actually was behind the scenes I had always you always see the competition and you see the, these great writers and I saw them well I was living in Europe I saw them I saw them compete you know who was who and everything but being behind the scenes in the stalls and actually seeing the riders as just normal people and you can actually go and talk to them that was probably the best and I was able to so they had for the horses they had a spa and they had a water treadmill they have a water kind of like a tub that has makes bubbles and it's cool cold water like ice water and the movement of the bubbles just makes the circulation and then there's a plate a vibrating plate 
So, you know, you have the choice of those three and you can do it at whatever time you wanted and it was free. So while I was holding the horse during his workout on the treadmill, uh, Simone Bloom, which is basically, she is the world champion for 2018 in show jumping. And she's probably one of the few women that have won. They were actually looking at acquiring something like that for their barn. And I was able to talk to her like a normal person and take a picture with her. That's probably the best highlight. <laughs> that is a good highlight. How long had you known about her before you met her? Simone Bloom. I saw her win in 2018 because at the World Equestrian Games here in Tryon, I volunteered. So I was working in the media setting. So I was able to get into places where no other people, no other volunteers were able to get. So I saw a little bit of behind the scenes because we couldn't go into the barns, but I saw everybody in the back and I saw her win, I saw her ride. So it was, it was amazing. I walked the ring. I also, another funny story from that. So, you know, Facebook makes contact with a bunch of people. So once I started getting on Facebook a while back, I got in touch with the people that I had stopped seeing for a long time, horse-wise. And then I start meeting other people in the horse business. So there's this, uh, he is from Argentina, and basically he handles the time for the horse shows, but he also, it's not a podcast, but he also goes to some of the shows and transmits the show to the Argentinian people via his phone. So we were friends on Facebook, and he comes in, when they come in, I was in the, in the basically at the desk and they had to, as a reporter, you have to come in, you have to sign, you, they give you a bib and they give you a number and they make you legal for you to go in. I saw him and I'm like, oh, you're such and such. And he's like, yes, oh my God. And <laughs> you know, it was like, it was very nice. He didn't speak any English, so I had to, I helped him get all his stuff settled, get him to where he needed to go, get him a transport and everything. So since that time, we've actually been friends and we send messages through WhatsApp and he sent me something to Denmark. He sent me a, a cap to Denmark and I sent him back a t-shirt from the World Games. So it was, it's a interesting, nice friendship per se. And then also in 2018, I met his, uh, another, he is probably one of the best photographer, photographers in the world for equestrian events. So he does all the show jumping, but he also does the races. So again, he's Italian, I lived in Italy. I saw him and I was like, oh, you're such and such of the best. And we started, you know, we just started chit-chatting and Spanish, in Italian, in English, and we have kept in touch since. And it's like, when you go to Rome, I will take you around Rome. Mind you, I know Rome, and I love Rome, 
So, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> That's really cool. Yeah. We met a lot of people. Small world. Very the small world. Western world is a small. It is a small world, and you realize how small the world is because you actually find people like the person that kind of I got back in touch with when Ignacio started looking for a horse. He was in the children's when I was doing the Young Riders. And at some point in time, we did compete against each other. And I came to see him back here. And you're like, oh, you're such, yes, I am. Oh, your father did this, yes, oh, ah. <laughs> so yeah, it is a very, very small world. <laughs> And that wraps up the first part of our journey through Lilia's story. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us today and exploring the untold stories that enrich our lives. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to share this experience with your friends and family. Subscribe to Negative Space on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Substack, so you'll never miss an inspiring tale. Your support means the world to us, and by sharing these narratives, we can together shine a light on the hidden moments that shape who we are. Reach out to us through the links in the description. Remember, the canvas of life is filled not just by the strokes of the obvious, but also by the beauty of the negative space. The spaces between the stories that define us. Until we meet again, may your life be filled with colorful tales and cherished memories. And thank you for being a part of Negative Space.